he's too such a little man so alive and so smart again you say stop time stay just this way but the future calls and he can't stay nobody warns you of this parents paradox you want your kid to change and grow but when he does another child you've just begun to know Hello and welcome to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway for Sunday, June 28, 2020. My name is James Marino, and in the broadcast today we have Peter Felicia and Michael Portantier. Peter is a playwright, journalist, and historian with a number of books. His columns appear at Masterworks Broadway, Broadway Select, and many of the places. Good morning, Peter. Good morning. Good morning, and congratulations on your walks. Uh-huh. Keeping, keeping healthy these days. Yes, indeed. Doing the Excellent. best I can. As are our listeners, but we won't mention them because we didn't ask them. I didn't ask you either, but we didn't get mm-hmm. too deep yeah. into it. <laughs> My, next up is Michael Portantier. Michael is a theater reviewer and essayist. He's the founder and editor of castalbumreviews.com. He's also a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared in the New York Times and other major publications. You can see his photography work at fallspotphoto.com. Good morning, Michael. Good morning. Good morning, Michael. Are you taking the staircase? Uh-huh. Uh, well, <laughs> I'm now on the 24th floor. So That's why I'm asking. I mean, that thing, you know, going no, but, down's one thing, but going up is a tough thing. Uh, I am doing a lot of walking. We we have a very, very large um, plaza at Manhattan Plaza. And then also uh, the neighborhood has been opening up a little more uh, as far as just being able to walk on the streets with because there are more people. So, yeah, I'm trying to uh, keep up with that. It's all we can do, right? I used to be a member of the gym at Manhattan Plaza, and I think I'm still paying the gym membership. I'm not sure. Oh, yeah. I joined, uh, actually, (laughs) I joined even before I moved in. Uh, I I joined as soon as I got my lease and was able to join, and they have a great pool. I was going really every other day before the pandemic hit, and I I miss it so much. But uh, gyms are not coming back till phase four, Uh, so unfortunately, I think it's going to be a bit of a of time before we see those again yeah well if you can't go to that gym at least you can go to jim caruso's pajama cast party can't you i can and and i did this past monday um, so tell us about it yeah he's been doing a you know, gym for years now has been doing jim caruso's cast party uh at I think he's been at three different locations but for many years he's been at birdland and now, since the pandemic, there, there was a bit of a break, and now it's online, and now it's called Jim Caruso's Pajama Cast Party. Uh, don't expect to see people in pajamas, though. I, I don't know <laughs> if anyone's actually done that. Uh, but it's really great. Uh, and this past Monday, I, I wanted to make a point to catch it because he had um, some really good guests scheduled, especially good guests. Uh, oh, He opened with Alice Ripley. Um, and she sang a cappella. She put together a little mini medley of three man songs, the man that got away, my man and the man I loved. Uh, and that was really, really nice. She, uh, s- some people who do these online performances 
Uh, sometimes often they'll sing to tracks that that they've acquired somehow. Uh, sometimes they will have someone there with them uh, playing guitar or piano. Sometimes, of course, they accompany themselves if they can do that. And then sometimes they sing a cappella, which is what she chose to do. And it was really lovely. Uh, you know, there's a simplicity, of course, to singing a cappella if you can do it and stay on pitch, which she she did. She really sounded very good. So it was nice to um, see and hear her again. Um, and then another one of his guests, Jim's guest, was Robert Fairchild, who uh, the wonderful, wonderful ballet dancer who has in recent years made a very successful crossover to musical theater and uh, including American in Paris on Broadway, uh, for which he received a Tony nomination and also um, something that he was really, really great in that I saw was Brigadoon at City Center. Uh, he was really phenomenal in that. Um, so he apparently has had, I haven't been following it so much, but he's had a little series recently where he's done videos of himself dancing on his roof uh, here in Manhattan. I think with uh, sometimes um, with his roommate, who is also a dancer. Uh, so he was on with Jim and, and he presented, a, I believe, an exclusive video of him dancing solo on, on his roof. So that was great. And then the other guests were um, Jim's producer for this series, this online series, is a, is a young woman named Ruby Lochner, who apparently has been coming to cast parties since she was six years old. Wow. And, wow. and you know, with, with uh, you know, presumably with her parents in the beginning. Uh, and now she's 21. That's that gives you an idea of how long he's been doing it. And she sang. Um, I think maybe it was the first time that she sang on this edition of the show. Uh, which what happened to be the night of her birthday. And she said, you know, I mean, when producers perform, you you, you always maybe are, are a little trepidatious and think, well, is I hope this is going to be okay. She did a wonderful, really excellent first-rate rendition of I Can Do Better Than That from the last five years. Uh, really acting and singing were so good that she, I would absolutely cast her in that role uh, somewhere and she's uh, a really good age for it too so um i hope that that role that actual role is in her future somewhere um and then the other guests were um melanie taylor and terry woolman uh let's see uh melanie taylor is a former harlet uh bet midler harlet and she's also sung uh with barry manilow for many years uh, i guess back up uh, and they did um, a wonderful rendition of Love the One You're With. And then a very another very young woman named Annalise Scarpacci, who was to have been in, and I guess I believe did a few performances um, on Broadway anyway, of, of Mrs. Doubtfire. Uh, she's one of the kids in that um, before that was closed by the pandemic. <clears throat> and she sang, uh, she accompanied herself on guitar and sang a beautiful, beautiful version of Somewhere from West Side Story. She also mentioned that she um, lives on Staten Island, and that's where she was performing from in quarantine. Uh, so I, uh, you know, so we have that in common, so I'll have to do a little more research on her. Uh, and then finally, this wonderful guy named Alan Harris, um, who uh, is a uh, 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 sings in the style of Nat King Cole and very is very famous for that. And he's been going to cast party for years. Um, and he sang uh, 
a, a couple of things for Jim. So that was really wonderful. So it was a great night and I'm glad I, I picked it to tune in because um, it's, it's one of the many wonderful entertainments that people are offering uh during this pandemic until we're all able to gather again in person, which I'm sure we, every one of us looks forward to very, very <laughs> much. That's great. Uh, it's great that uh, Jim is figuring out a way to keep cast party going right now uh, and keep everybody engaged and interesting and bringing them some of the best talent uh, that we know and don't know about in the New yes. York area. Yes, yes. Uh, also online, we had uh, the Pride Plays presentation of Mark, Mark Crowley's The Men from the Boys, which is a sequel to The Boys in the Band. And both Peter and Michael, you got a chance to see this. So, Peter, why don't you give us uh, your thoughts on this? Well, I wish I could be more enthusiastic. I did read the play when it was published many years ago, and I didn't think it was very good. And this really hurts me amazingly because uh, I'm one of the greatest fans of The Boys in the Band. I really appreciate the fact that it... Um, helped in so many ways back then. I mean, it, it, uh, certainly the new generation of gays uh, has a great many people who object to it and saying that people are whiny and cowardly and uh, pathetic and what have you. Uh, it's hard for them to understand what uh, it was like to be gay in those years. And um, as I've often said, when I was in the audience, I, I saw many, back then, I saw many, many, many men crying because it was their story. Well, anyway, uh, sure, the characters are so wonderful and the dialogue is so witty. There are so many funny, funny lines um, in it. And uh, one hopes that that uh, is going to happen again when one sees the men from the boys. But unfortunately, um, the wit is not nearly as pungent. There are far fewer funny lines. There are some. For example, Emery says, I'm schizophrenic. And so am I. And so uh, yeah, so uh, a few, you know, sprinkled in and you're very glad to uh, to get them in the original play, by the way, a small detail here. Um, Harold doesn't seem to like Donald because when he says uh, to him at the end, you know, um, uh, good night, uh, Donald says, yeah, I hope to see you again or something like that. And um, Harold says, yeah, how about a year from Shavuos, which indicates, you know, I'm in no rush to see you again. So here um, he actually says at the end, uh, Donald, we've got to stop meeting like this. And I really mean it. And I mean, I don't know what's going on there between them. And uh, perhaps they had an affair that occurred to me and it went sour and nobody's mentioning it. But uh, something happened there. Uh, but anyway, the real problem is this takes place 29 years later. How do we know? Because it's established that um, Harold is 61 now. And in the original play, he says, what I am, Michael, is a 32 year old pockmarked Jew. And he goes on. Um, so so we know it's 29 years later, and what has happened is Larry has died. Uh, Larry was um, said to be very promiscuous, and in fact, the play establishes that um, he was promiscuous still, even though he was in a relationship with Hank. Hank loved him, and Larry, as he said in the original play, loved him in his own way. Um, but he wasn't going to give up other people, and Hank eventually came to terms with that. Now, because, of course, uh, between 1968 and the time of the play, which I think was 1998, um, <clears throat> the fact remains that uh, AIDS had come into the picture. And there's a lot of talk about the fact that Ari, Larry did not die of AIDS, that every gay man doesn't die of AIDS. Uh, he died of cancer. So uh, so now it's the um, after the funeral, everybody goes back to Michael's place and um 
and, you know, has a meal, that type of thing. And um, the problem is there just isn't the conflict that you have in the original play. It's a lot of talking, but there's not very much conflict. There are three young people there, one of whom was Larry's nurse, one of whom is Donald's um, perhaps boyfriend, and the other one is Michael's uh, perhaps boyfriend, uh, a young man who um, seems to like him, but uh, won't sleep with him, um, mostly because as it comes out that um, he had a terrible experience with a man years ago that has made him afraid of sex. Or is that an excuse? We don't know. So I'm afraid it's just a lot of talk. And um, without the conflict, it really does get boring as time goes on. I'm not sorry I saw it. Very well performed. Dennis O'Hare played Michael very well. Mario Cantone, what a great choice for Emery. Terrific. Lou Liberatore, who starred in my play, God Shows Up, was Harold and was terrific. And uh, really uh, quite a nice experience watching these men. Very classily done in terms of the Zoom. I will say that um, you know, when people exited, suddenly their picture came off the screen. The problem was, after a while, the um, um, I forget the word, but anyway, uh, when people were speaking, uh, synchronization, that's the word I'm looking for, mm. uh, the speech um, didn't match what uh, their lips were doing. But, um, but still, you know, a curiosity, and I'm not sorry I watched it, And um, but it didn't do anything to change my mind about the worth of the play. I am so sorry to say. Oh, Michael, how about you? Yeah, I'm not sorry I, I saw it either, but I have very similar feelings to Peter. Uh, I made a point of catching this on Friday the 26th because this is one of the rarest commodities uh, that I can think of, uh, especially among those plays that have been performed recently uh, You know, in, in these Zoom presentations. But the incredibly strange thing about this is, is this is so weird. Um, the play is dated 2002, uh, which apparently uh, was the, the year that when it was performed at the New Conservatory, New Conservatory Theater in San Francisco. But I absolutely remember seeing a reading of it in New York in it must have been 1996 because it was done at the time of the revival of Boys in the Band, uh, the, the off-Broadway revival of Boys in the Band at the WPA Theater that year with uh, a cast including David Drake, James Lacine, and David Greenspan. And, you know, I cannot find any information on that reading online whatsoever. I think it was, uh, so if it was 96, that was several years before uh, it was considered um, a finished product and was produced in San Francisco. I, I seem to remember that uh, there were no reviews allowed. Uh, I, I somehow got in to see it, and I guess I got in as a press person, but, um, you know, I, I guess we were all told under no uh, you know, uh, uh, not to write about it under any circumstances. And I can't find anything. Um, I'll have to do some more digging uh, because I don't even remember who entirely was in the cast. I think some of the people were, were, were the people from Boys in the Band, even though the ages uh, w would not have been the same. Uh, Peter, does this sound remotely familiar to you i'm afraid not i i didn't know any i didn't know even got a reading here i got the impression it was produced in los angeles but that's all i know 
Yeah, I don't know. I'm starting to think that it never <laughs> happened. Going a little insane. <laughs> but I do remember one other person I spoke to who uh, who saw it. So I'm, I'm going to have to do more reading, more reading on that because I, uh, I it's not it's not often that you can't find any evidence of something uh, through Google or whatever. But I'll I'll I'll, I'll I'll keep looking for it and I'll, I'll do a follow-up if I find anything. But anyway, yeah, I agree with a lot of what Peter said. Um, there, there are some things in the play that don't really ring true. Uh, for example, uh, what ends up happening to two of the characters, Bernard and also Donald. Um, Donald winds up becoming an alcoholic, which one might not, have thought would have happened to him based on his character in the first play and how he's in therapy and is dealing with all his issues and is, um, uh, you know, comparatively in good shape uh, emotionally and mentally is certainly compared to, to Michael. Uh, now I realize that can happen to anyone, but also if he did in fact become an alcoholic, I would think his attitude towards it uh, be, becoming an alcoholic would be very different than what we saw in the men from the boys as played by uh, Donald was played by Rick Ellis. He really didn't seem very concerned about the fact, uh, at least that's, that was my impression. And then um, Bernard, uh, well, we're told that Bernard actually winds up getting married to a woman uh, but, and he, and he explains that and, and talks about it. So, uh, that also can happen, but it did seem like a little bit of a surprise to me. Well, actually, um, here's a good example of where there could have been more drama. Mm. Um, here's Bernard talking about the fact that he went to AA and he met this woman in AA and they now live together. And even though it's not particularly a sexual relationship, the fact is they really, really love each other. That's great. Okay. Yes, what a, that's that's as good a scenario as many um, people can have, that they mm. do wind up in a white marriage, but at least it's a marriage. They have somebody, they care about each other, uh, somebody to talk to, somebody to tell your troubles to, all that. It's better than not, to use a line from Merrily. Okay. However, what would have been more dramatic would be is if Bernard said, I did this and, um, and I, it just doesn't work for me anymore. I thought it would work for me. I gave everything I could to it. Um, but, um, I still find myself attracted to men. There's nothing I can do about it. And I'm going to have to break the news to her. That's more dramatic. Um, and, um, you know, so, so I'm, I'm really sorry there wasn't more drama in the play. And I said to, um, my girlfriend Linda last night, uh, who did not watch it um, <clears throat> because she just didn't feel like sitting in front of a computer, and I understand that totally, um, that, you know, when you go to a, a, um, a post-funeral brunch, um, you, everybody's, you know, sort of uh, on, you know, what's the term, tenterhooks, whatever it is, you know, that, and people, yeah. you, you don't want to start anything too severe you know i mean you, you don't want to kill the mood and you know start fights and all that kind of stuff and she said but wait a minute the movie the big chill has that same scenario that they're coming back for a lunch after a funeral and there's plenty of drama in that movie so i think that's a very good rebuttal yeah, I think that whole um, there were a lot of problems with the celebration of life setup uh, that made it that context made it seem like a lot of things that were said maybe would not have been said. But um, I'll end with this, and this is a very uh, salient point. I don't know if you realize, Peter, but there there is a brief Wikipedia entry on the men from the boys, and it says that when the 
play ran in San Francisco, it was two hours and 20 minutes. Wow. So even if you, you know, assuming that includes intermission, uh, this presentation was only 90 minutes, maybe mm. less, mm. maybe less. Mm. Um, so I don't, I do not know what's up with that. I don't know. Uh, presumably Crowley himself cut it. Um, I don't know if anyone else would have felt comfortable cutting that much out of it. Uh, I'll have to do some research on that as well. Uh, by the way, this was directed by Zachary Quinto. So uh, th that was a point of interest as well. Who had appeared it, in the recent Broadway revival. Yeah, Michael, that's a very good point. And frankly, I was a little surprised. Uh, suddenly people were leaving the apartment and I thought, wait, wait, wait. I mean, yes, you know, yes. this is... Uh, this 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 is only about 75, 80 minutes at this point when people are starting to leave. And I mean, obviously, if they're leaving, uh, they're leaving. And uh, so uh, I was very surprised that it was short as it was, though I have to admit I wasn't sorry that it was ending. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and, and again, this hurts me so much. I loved Mark Crowley. We had so many wonderful experiences together. We did a, a panel discussion at Barnes and Noble when Making of the Boys came out and um, we've had we had dinner two or three times. Um, I, I really was so fond of him. So it hurts me so much to have to say this, but, um, and that's why I really want to watch. I was hoping I was going to change my opinion. You know, so many times I've read scripts, right. that Don't come alive in my head. And when I see them, ah, you know, and, um, and this was not one of the times I'm so sorry to say. So I found the uh, Pride Plays presentation of Mark Crowley's The Men from the Boys on YouTube. It is still there. It is 87 minutes and six seconds. Wow. So, uh, I, and I think I have been told uh, that these play presentations tend to have a limit uh, as oh, to yeah. how long they're up for union. Oh, reasons. I see. And, and I believe that I heard, read or, that tomorrow is the last day, but I don't know when tomorrow or i don't know if that means until <laughs> tomorrow or through tomorrow so if you would like to try to catch it uh, i would suggest as asap okay so what has no time limit in our universe <laughs> is uh, trivia at broadradio.com <laughs> so peter do you have an answer to last week's trivia yeah, um, indeed. Um, I talked about the 1970 British musical Sing a Rude Song and said that it has one song that mentions the title character of a Tony winning musical. Not that the lyricist tried to reference that character of the show intentionally, mind you. He just mentioned the character's name to make a different point. So I asked for the song's name and the title character of the Tony winning musical. Well, the song was called Haven't the Words. And in it, there's a mention of Sweeney Todd. Remember, it's 1970. And his razor. This is nine years before he'd be the subject of a Tony-winning musical. Remember, Sweeney Todd was a well-known character in British literature and folklore long before Sondheim discovered him. So, uh, by the way, for those who weren't listening last week and thought that this was much too demanding a question, I did point out to people that one could hear some of the songs of Sing a Rude Song on uh, YouTube, and they could find it there. So I imagine most of our people uh, who guessed it uh, went to that, unless they had the LP in their homes, which I guess is highly unlikely. <laughs> anyway, Tony Janicki once again was first, followed by Steve Bell, J. Aubrey Jones, Brigadude, Sean Logan, and Richard Carey. This week's question, if you hear a certain song on the original cast album of this show, you'll hear mention of these shows, The Andersonville Trial, Fiorello, The Gang's All Here, The Miracle Worker, JB, Juno, Our Town, 
Rashomon, Sweet Bird of Youth, The Tenth Man, and The World of Susie Wong. But if you get a published book that's an anthology of its songwriter's lyrics, you'll find that although Juno, Our Town, Rashomon, Sweet Bird of Youth, and The World of Susie Wong are still there, the others have been replaced by Compulsion, The Crucible, Look Home with Angel, The Rope Dances, The Visit, and West Side Story. What's the song? And what's the musical it comes from? And who wrote it? Okay. If you have an answer to that, email us at trivia at broadwayradio.com. We'll let you know if you're on the right track. I've also uh, had some questions from uh, from listeners saying, um, you know, uh, how do I... Uh, get to Broadway Radio to listen to us on Sunday morning. All you have to do is go to broadwayradio.com slash Patreon or patreon.com slash Broadway Radio and you can sign up and join us on a Sunday morning and listen to us live and be the first. I, oh, we just received the first answer. <laughs> really? <laughs> Whoa. So, uh, okay, there it is. Just a minute later. Here it is. Uh, wow, that's uh, maybe a New World's record. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Michael, uh, you know, you have answered some of the questions just moments after we've wrapped that's up. That's right, yeah. So I don't know if that's a world record, but <laughs> a non-Portantia record. So um, this morning we were going to talk about about the most beautiful ballads and of course this is tremendously subjective so we have sure. to say <laughs> the most beautiful ballads as defined by michael and peter so uh michael why don't you start us off with the first most beautiful ballad that you can think of well you know what actually i'd like to start out with a definition because oh, yeah. there's uh, i uh, there's something we should we should probably clear up to begin with uh i think when most of us say ballad we mean uh, what turns out to be the second definition of the word that I found, which is a slow, sentimental, or romantic song. But the first definition that I found is a poem or song narrating a story in short stanzas. Uh, so... Uh, uh, I wanted to make that clear from the beginning. Where do we uh, credit the definition from? Is it Merriam-Webster or is it? You know? Oh, I, uh, I just looked at <laughs> an, an online dictionary. But I uh, think that that I think that's the original definition of ballad. Uh, and uh, so I thought I would actually start out by naming some of the ballads with the classic definition that are in musical theater. And um, I thought of several uh, right off the top of my head, uh, a, a few of which have the word ballad in their title. We have the Ballad of Sweeney Todd. Uh-huh. We, have the ballad, <laughs> we have the Ballad of Mac the Knife. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have a few others that I uh, thought of. After the Ball from Showboat is is often cited as a classic ballad song. And of course, it was not written for that score. It was a pre-existing song from the late 1800s, I believe. But uh, it wasn't written for Showboat, but it's in every production that I've seen because it happens at a pivotal moment. Um, and then a couple of others, uh, Artificial Flowers from Tenderloin mm-hmm. uh, is very much a classic ballad. Not when um, Bobby Darren sang it, but that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the storytelling aspect of it. Sure. Yeah, but not, yes, yes. <laughs> sure. Um, um, and then uh, the, uh, well, uh, another one with ballad in the title is the Ballad of Booth from Assassins. 
And then uh, here's a fun one that I thought of, the Shmuel song. Yeah. From the last five years, I think would absolutely classify. So uh, those are just some that I wrote down in the classic form. And I thought we would start with those before we go into the others. I'll start with, um, uh, for the slow, sentimental, or romantic song definition, uh, one of the first I thought of is really one of the most gorgeous songs ever written for any show which is the title song of light in the piazza the light in the piazza um and i re-listened to it after not hearing it for a while uh prompted by this uh by by this discussion and it really is just so incredibly gorgeous especially as sung by kelly o'hara on the original broadway cast recording so i'll start with that one and then let peter go and then of course i have uh, several others i've written down well i'm going to start with a surprising one and that is as time goes by now many people associate this song with casablanca of course where it's uh, very uh, important to the action of the story but um actually it comes from a 1931 review called everybody's welcome and um so uh, one might not think of it as uh, a show song, but it really does count. I remember um, when I was growing up and I learned that Casablanca had won the Oscar for uh, Best Picture, that I was very surprised that As Time Goes By wasn't nominated as Best Song. And this is the reason why, of course, you have to be an original song to get nominated. You can't come from another source. But that's the reason why um, Herman Hupfeld, uh, a name that is not very well known in songwriting circles, or at least to the general public, wrote it in Montclair, New Jersey. And some years ago, there was a wonderful party I got to attend where we all had to wear white um, tuxedos, uh, jackets, the way they did in Rick's Cafe American in the um, uh, movie. And um, Joe Piscopo played a director and we were supposed to be extras in the scene uh, where um, it was replicated. So that was great fun. And uh, But as time goes by, is is certainly a, a wonderful song. And by the way, it was the song that my wife and I danced to first at our wedding reception, but that doesn't mean I'm going to hold it against the song. No, 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 no. Um, it is still a great and wonderful song, and I love it dearly. I wonder how that song was performed in that. Uh, you said it was I a think review. It, I think it was a review. So I think somebody probably just came out like Sally and Follies did, losing my mind. I imagine it was no more than that. But I, I have to admit, I've never done research and found out. Oh, no, I meant the musical style of it. I, I wonder if, what the tempo oh, was. Yeah, wonder, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess we'll never know. No, no. Uh, it's saying on the Google machine that as time <laughs> goes by, uh, it was part of an MGM uh, production. Uh, the Musicals of Love, Volume 1, MGM Crooners, Maybe it was related to the Casablanca thing. Uh huh. Yeah. Well, it was a Warner Brothers movie, though. So, um, oh, so who uh knows? Who knows? Who knows? Indeed. But um, but in terms of others, uh, it's funny that Michael mentioned ballad um, because so many times I think the word ballad is used as an ironic uh, comment because so many songs called ballad of um, are really frenetic up tempo songs. And I'm thinking of ballad of a social director from Wish You Were Here, <laughs> which goes a mile a minute as Sidney Armas talks about how difficult it is to be a social director at a camp. 
But in terms of classic um, uh, beautiful songs, and as we were talking about beautiful songs, um, what also comes to mind is um, Make Our Garden Grow from Candide. Mm. And one of the great experiences I had, there was a wonderful exhibition of Leonard Bernstein material at the New York Public Library. And of course, they were playing songs over the um, sound system. And I was walking around and Make Our Garden Grow started happening. And um, in the part at the end where it swells, the music just swells, and everybody's about to sing a cappella, such a great moment, um, I heard the woman behind me hum along with it. I mean, she was just so carried away with the music, she just couldn't stand it. She had to <laughs> da 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 And uh, I didn't know anybody was behind me, so I turned around quickly, um, almost like I was alarmed. And it was simply because I didn't know somebody was behind me. It was just a, a reflex action. And the woman said to me, I am so sorry. I apologize. And I said, uh, no, that's all right. Betty Comden can come along anytime she wants with any song. <laughs> now, isn't this something that Betty Comden, who after all worked with Leonard Bernstein on On the Town and Wonderful Town, should be still um, you should pardon the expression, a civilian when it came to his music in the sense that it could still move her. You would think that um, it wouldn't move her because she had been so used to working with Leonard Bernstein. I'm sure she appreciated the song, et cetera. That's fine. But the fact that she was so caught up in the music uh, was just so wonderful to me. And I can fully understand why, because that really is quite the beautiful song. What a great story. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, what's next on your list? Uh, so many, of course, uh, Rogers and Hammerstein, uh, we could go on and on. Uh, there are two, in my opinion, two of the most beautiful songs they ever wrote in the King and I, uh, we kiss in a shadow and I have dreamed, um, out of my dreams from Oklahoma is so gorgeous. Um, for learner and low, uh, there but for you go i from brigadoon I, I i have always loved that song the music is so beautiful and also the the uh sentiment which is not one that you hear too often about how uh you know if it weren't for you if it wasn't for your love for me i would be just a lonely person walking the face of the earth and very unhappy uh really really beautiful beautiful sentiment beautiful song gorgeous show um and uh we've discussed a song we've discussed before in other contexts on the street where you live from my fair lady maybe one of the most effective ballads ever written love ballads ever written and so uh just because it's so atypical for that score and it is so necessary to have someone expressing love for Eliza Doolittle. We have seen her being horribly, horribly treated by Henry Higgins for much of the evening and really not appreciated as a person, as a woman, uh, appreciated on any, any level. And even though uh, the character Freddie Einstein Hill is presented as something of a twit, um, it doesn't matter. It's, it's just uh, we need to see uh, the fact that we see that he is so enamored of Eliza uh, and 
just so, so in love with her that he shows up uh, outside of the place where she's living and is hanging out, literally hanging out on the street, hoping to to see her. Uh, you know, uh, I suppose nowadays we would we might say that there's a maybe a little bit of a stalker aspect of it, but it's presented very kind of innocently, and uh, he, he's he's obviously harmless. Uh, that that song and its placement uh, is so brilliant, especially um, since uh, some people feel, and I think some people have actually argued that it's it's very odd that a, a minor supporting character should have the big love ballad like that. And also a character who is, as I said, presented as something of a twit. Uh, but I, I think it doesn't matter. I think the point is the the feeling that is expressed in the song and the fact that it is so beautiful. Uh, and it's a perfect example how um, uh, it was thought that Pygmalion by Shaw was a, an, a, a, the kind of a property that could not be musicalized. And I believe even, uh, isn't it correct that Rodgers and Hammerstein considered it at one point and decided they, they could not considered. They, they really looked long and hard yeah, at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And decided it was just beyond them. And uh, Lerner and, and Lowe, uh, it, it took them a while, but they, they finally found a way in. And they, they, they even found a way to put... Um, a love song or two into it. Another, uh, I, I don't think it would be necessarily called a ballad because maybe it has a little bit too much forward motion for a ballad, but I could have danced all night mm -hmm. in, uh, you know, which is a conditional, also a conditional love song, I guess we would call it. If it's a beautiful song, it's a beautiful song. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So th those two, uh, those two, at least from my fair lady. Michael, I, wanna, I Go I'm ahead. sorry, Peter. I, I need to pick a fight with Michael. Okay. Okay. Uh, you said Roger Hammerstein, but you neglected to say if I loved you. <laughs> oh God! Well, that was on my list. I just haven't gotten to it yet. Right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Cut right. that and reverse it. Okay. It's not. It's not the most well organized <laughs> list in the world. Sorry. I'll, I'll 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 stick with uh, Leonard Bernstein for the moment and go with some other time with the lyric by Comden and Green. This is the final song in uh, On the Town, their first show, and um, it's um, soldiers going off to war. And um, well, you know, they say we'll catch up some other time when you get back, and we're we're hoping that they do get back. I still remember hearing this when I was 16 years old, when I got the album from the Columbia Record Club, um, which I joined the Columbia. Penny? For a penny, you get six albums, which meant I also joined the RCA Record Club, and I also joined the Capitol Record Club. <laughs> and I still remember the night I was in my bed uh, thinking, oh my God, I owe these companies $85, which indeed <laughs> was all the money in the world for somebody who wasn't working. Uh, to use an expression by Gene Shepard, I was a teenage Raskolnikov. You know, I, I was just so upset with <laughs> guilt that but anyway it was where i can if if we went to 36 exeter street in arlington massachusetts and went to what was once my bedroom i could take you to within a quarter inch of where i was standing when i heard some other time and uh, the expression oh well um that is just that's when i knew i was hearing a beautiful song and um, that would always make my list of beautiful songs speaking of betty comden mm, indeed and she um uh... I may have mentioned this before, uh, 
quite a few years ago when I was in the New York City Gay Men's Chorus, we did a Bernstein concert and Comden and Green were the hosts, which was oh, how incredible. Wonderful. And um, they didn't sing anything until the very end when they did a little bit of some other time. And it mm. was uh, an extraordinary mm. moment. Mm. Oh, that's wonderful. Uh, speaking of time, um, I also want to go to bat for uh, Stop Time, a song from Big, in mm. which a, um, a mother talks about the fact that kids grow up so quickly. And um, as she points out, each kid is replaced by another kid, so to speak, um, that it's not uh, suddenly it becomes a different person. You really want to say, uh, time, stop, stop, will you? So I can enjoy this kid longer because, you know, eventually the kid's going to be a teenager and um, as as <laughs> Nell Benjamin's wonderful lyric goes in Mean Girls. Uh, you know, your kid will uh, think that you're the son in the moon. This isn't quite it, but anyway, you, 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 your kid will think you're wonderful and then he'll turn three, you know, and uh, it's a very good perception um, that um, that does come a point where your kid um, stops thinking you're the sun and the moon and starts criticizing. So stop time. Um, and I will admit that it's not well placed in the show. Uh, it's not the right moment in the show for this woman to be singing this song. Um, I, in fact, where it should happen is right before the kid tries to get on the um, ride, where he's going to find out he's too short for the ride, because wouldn't it be something for her to sing this song about, <laughs> uh, how he grows and how he's growing up, but he's not the same kid. And then we find out that the person running the ride uh, thinks he's too short, that he's he's not old enough, so to speak, in a manner of speaking. So mm. um, it would be a much better spot for the show. But uh, anyway, that still doesn't negate the fact that if you get the original cast album of Big, you're in for a treat with Stop Time. Wonderful lyrics by Richard Maltby Jr., wonderful melody by David Shire. Hmm. So, uh, Michael, what's next on your list? Uh, two Jerry Herman songs. It only takes a moment from Hello, Dolly. Uh, just beautiful. And there's a perfect example of uh, a- another very important and well-placed song. Hello, Dolly is, for the most part, a very light comedic show. Uh, one might even say farcical. But it does need to have an emotional underpinning uh, when, especially when it became a musical. Um, and that is something that Herman definitely added to the show in songs like that one and uh, ribbons down my back. Uh, so that's, those are, th- those are two really beautiful songs. And then a, a much less well-known ballad, gorgeous love ballad by Jerry Herman is Marianne. I had a feeling that's what you were going to say. And I agree with you. Go on <laughs> from the grand tour uh, show that was not a hit and has a lot of problems, but that song is so gorgeous. Um, Barbara cook uh, sang it in concert. I think uh, I forget which one of her Carnegie hall concerts, I believe. And I'm sure she sang it at other points as well. Uh, she, she uh, certainly recognized the beauty of it. Um, and so that shows her good taste. <laughs> um, so I, uh, so you could seek out that recording of it or, uh, or the original cast recording. I, it's Ron Holgate, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Since you're mentioning Dolly, what I will say is that um, I remember vividly when the song Hello, Dolly 
was the number one hit in the land that uh, Herman was interviewed and said, you know, I really thought it only takes a moment was going to be the hit from this show. That's the one I really felt had the most chance to step out of the show Hmm. and be popular. And um, that leads me to the fact that on the night that Hello, Dolly opened on Broadway, I was at the Schubert Theater in Boston watching the tryout of Funny Girl. And that night, the moment that Barbara Streisand sang, people, I sat up in my seat and said, oh, this is going to be a good one. And indeed, I was right. It was a good one. It is a good one. And um, it will always be, no matter what else she's recorded. And she's had many other successful songs, needless to say. This is her signature song. And um, in that era, when, of course, the Beatles were still doing very, very well, needless to say, People did make it to number four on the charts. Low Dolly made it to number one, yes, but people made it to number four, um, at least for one week. I'm not saying it was the fourth best-selling record of the year, but it did one week get that far, and that's pretty good indeed, pretty good indeed. (laughs) Uh, I wanted to throw something in here to see what your take on this is. and Certainly the first half of this is not a ballad, but it transitions into a ballad. And that's uh, from The Secret Garden, the Where in the World and How Could I Ever Know sequence. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, very strong, very strong stuff. And uh, ironically enough, um, I've uh, been um, helping to edit a book uh, and I'm just about to tackle The Secret Garden. And I was thinking, I wonder if this uh, it's about 50 musicals that really changed the landscape and um secret garden of course was one of the first to have virtually an entire female team uh working on it and did it encourage other um female teams to start working and i, I believe it did and uh and that's part of the premise of uh this i i didn't write the sequence so i'm about to tackle it as an editor but um, it's funny that i thought beforehand i wonder if this is going to come up in this essay so i agree with you entirely entirely yeah thank so. you for mentioning that 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 it's uh, i'm sorry the second part is called how could i ever know is that yeah, right how could i ever know mm-hmm. so yeah when, the, when archibald sings the first half the where in the world he's, right. he's angry with her for leaving him and the second part is she sings to him how could i ever know as I have I'm, a million problems with the secret garden. I mean, I, it's just bizarre to me when that kid goes into that garden at the end of act one, yeah. we don't see that the ruination of the garden, that would be a very effective scene. And the point is when the show starts again, the second act begins, we assume what we're seeing, uh, it's a, it's a reasonably happy number that uh, indeed um, we're in the secret garden that is going to be not represented literally. And so it's very confusing and I'm really sorry about that, but it's a terrific album. You know, there was uh, talk about a revival of it, and I think that a lot of the problems that I had with The Secret Mm. Garden were directorial uh, Ah, and similar to what you were saying. So I wonder what a new take on The Secret Garden would be like. Well, in fact, there was talk about having a revival, and that's too bad it didn't happen. But yes, you know, I remember that year there was a lot of consternation that Susan Shulman did not get a Tony nomination for uh, Best Direction of a Musical because there were several nominations for Secret Garden. However... Um, one nominator told me on the QT that the reason it didn't happen was because it had been well known that between the opening and the Tony voters getting together and the nominations coming out, <clears throat> that indeed Susan Shulman went back and changed things. And, uh, and while it's wonderful that she improved things, or ostensibly, who knows if she did or didn't, but the point is 
that if indeed she didn't make all those changes by opening night and opening night is what you're really judging, mm. well, then indeed she couldn't be um, nominated for best musical. So uh, again, I wasn't in the room where it happened, but um, <laughs> I was, I was told that uh, indeed this is what happened. And if indeed it is what happened, um, I can understand the argument. Well, regardless, how could I ever know was thrilling when it was sung by Rebecca Luker and Manny Patinkin. You bet. And then it was thrilling again when it was sung some years later. I will never forget this as long as I live in a benefit concert by Laura Benanti and Stephen Pasquale. Oh, that sounds uh, good. Their oh, chemistry yeah. was so amazing that they wound up getting married. <laughs> uh, and, I, and that was on YouTube. I, I haven't checked lately. Uh, if, if you have a moment, I have to find that. Check and see if it's there. It was, it was, it was thrilling. Thrilling. All right. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Michael, what, what else is left on your list? A uh, few other uh, uh, dear friend from She Loves Me mm. is one of my favorite ballads. Um, Alan Menken is someone who can really, really write a good ballad. Uh, and we have Somewhere That's Green and Little Shop. And I'm not sure if you would call Suddenly Seymour a ballad. You know, a, lot of, <laughs> a lot of these songs are um, uh, just borderline in one sense. Oh, sure. Uh, or another. I mean, cheek, yeah. <laughs> so, well, no. And also, I meant in the case of Suddenly Seymour, it gets so, so big, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. But, but, you know, I, I guess that, that doesn't disqualify it. Uh, and mentioning those two songs, I, I have to say, I, I just recently got my hands on the new cast recording of Little Shop of Horrors from the off Broadway production. Uh, that was sadly one of the casualties mm. of, yeah. of the pandemic. Uh, but, uh, it's a really wonderful recording with Jonathan Groff and Tammy Blanchard and Christian Borle, et cetera. So um, it's, I don't think it's the CDs out yet, but you can get it as a download. You might want to check that out. It's really, really very much worth it. Um, I'm going to mention you have made me love mm. from Cyrano. Mm-hmm. Um, this is sometimes, you know, you hear an overture and something catches your ear in the overture and you say, Ooh, I can't wait to hear that song. Well, Cyrano, which has, by the way, one of the best overtures ever. Um, and by the way, the Cyrano I'm talking about, I should make this very clear is the one from the seventies, not the one from the nineties that was imported from, um, Amsterdam, but, um, but uh, the one with Christopher Plummer, for which he won a Tony Award, and he doesn't sing this song. Uh, Lee Berry does, Roxanne does, and um, to Christiane, ostensibly, even though she's really uh, getting letters from Cyrano, but You Have Made Me Love, she sings. And uh, Michael Lewis, who I don't think ever again before or since wrote for Broadway, uh, did indeed a spectacular job with this ballad. It really, um, it, it's... It really is one of the, you know, it's hard with the ballad, you know, you really want it to be a bolt of lightning and yet you don't want it to um, become one of those almost parodies where, so a power ballad, this is a power ballad without the power ballad (laughs) specifics that we now come to think of today um, because it is powerful in its own quiet way. I know that's oxymoronic, but that's the miracle of the song that it has such power while not being show offy in the power ballad way that so many uh, songs are today. So I think that really is a gorgeous one that uh, needs to be, uh, to be mentioned uh, from the seventies. Another one we came to know in the seventies, even though it came from 1968 
hmm. was uh, I Hear Bells. Now, this was originally written by Maltby and Shire for a musical about Queen Victoria called Love Match. And um, I will never forget that um, I got a demo of it in 1969. And I remember um, playing it. And uh, uh, my wife and I were walking around. And suddenly, we just... Swooped our heads and looked at each other as if to say, This is the most beautiful song we have ever heard. And the irony is that um, my former wife and my girlfriend have absolutely nothing in common except the fact that each of them thinks this is the most beautiful song they've ever heard. And uh, I do too. It, it is so lovely. And we didn't know it. Um, the public didn't know it until 1977 when Starting Here, Starting Now uh, came about. And that was a review of Maltby and Shire songs. The people really didn't know. Um, ironically enough, if you know the song, I think I will. I think I'll remember today. Um, there is that lyric, "Oh Albert, my how you've grown." Well, that Albert is actually um, <laughs> Queen Victoria's husband. That Albert. Uh, so that's why the the Albert uh, is not arbitrarily chosen as a name. Uh, it really was Albert in the original uh, song because it was Albert in the original show, Love Match, which um, started its pre-Broadway tryout in Phoenix, Arizona, where um, you don't really think of tryouts going. And then it went to California. I always forget if it's Los Angeles or San Francisco, but it closed there, I'm sorry to say. And I'm not sure there'd be a commercial chance for a musical about Queen Victoria today. I, I can't imagine this much interest in her, but it really is a glorious score. And the songs that did survive and starting here, starting now, um, are quite terrific. I, uh, when I was making my list, I tried to think in terms of composers uh, so as not to, well, to, to, have, to represent everyone, you know, and, and mm -hmm. not make, make any major omissions. Um, Frank Lesser... My heart is so full of you from the most mm -hmm. happy fella. Mm -hmm. uh, Candor and Ebb, a quiet thing from Florida. Oh, yeah. Menace, which is, I, as I may have mentioned, I, I really don't know the show. And until quite recently, I always assumed she was singing about falling in love. As it turns out, no. singing about her happiness, about finally getting a job. Right? That's right. Yeah, that's right. And that's uh, and, you know, the, the expression I used a little earlier about I could take you within a quarter inch in my bedroom. I could take you in, within a quarter <laughs> inch of the colonial stage when Liza Minnelli <laughs> sang that song. And I could I'm telling you, I know exactly how far she was from the edge of the stage, uh, exactly how far she was from the, the wing on the um, audience left hand side of the stage. I mean, it was so incredible to hear her do that. So, yes, uh, very good choice and i wish i had thought of it good for you michael well and and, and i think it's, it was very purposely written so that when it is sung out of context it certainly can be taken oh as yeah a song about someone falling in love absolutely and either yeah. way it's still a ballad a you beautiful, bet. beautiful you bet. ballad you bet um bernstein uh, uh th i guess maybe three from west side story maria tonight and somewhere uh Again, tonight might be a, a, mm -hmm, a little yeah. uh, might be thought of as a little too too risky. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, too much forward motion to be, uh, you know. But but whatever. It's uh, beautiful. We're splitting hairs. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, Sondheim. Well, okay, all right. Send in the clowns. Obvious choice. Um, from Follies, we have uh, Sally. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> really. Um, Hits the mother load with the ballads because she has in Buddy's eyes too many mornings and losing my mind. Uh, then uh, I've always thought that someone is waiting 
from Company is an absolutely mm. perfect and mm. very beautiful song for that mm-hmm. place in the in the in the show. Um, Nothing's going to harm you from Sweeney Todd. Mm. Oh, and um, and another song that I'm I'm sure we've discussed in the past, "Worthy of Your Love" from Assassins, which is all the more effective because it's such a sweet, simple, beautiful love song sung by someone who, uh, depending on how you look at it, is either a monster or at least uh, just someone who's severely, severely uh, mentally ill and is going. It's Freddie Einsford Hill grown up. <laughs> oh gosh <laughs> uh, to the extreme hate to think yeah but yeah that's funny when you think uh, worthy of your love and my fair lady yeah that's an interesting <laughs> idea uh good choices michael no question and um from the 70s um where sondheim had his best period um i also want to mention another song from that era that isn't terribly well known because it's another show that closed out of town the show was the baker's wife and the song is gifts of love by Stephen Schwartz. Oh, God. Um, um, and a tremendous uh, range in this song that goes here, there, and everywhere and is so tender. And it's, it's got a wonderful message, too, about a woman who isn't in love with her husband in the real sense of the word. Um, there's no passion there, but she appreciates him. Of course, she will later uh, find out that appreciation is not nearly as much. Um, but she will also then later find out that appreciation is quite good and um, that his love for her is a gift. And um, so a beautiful, another bolt of lightning song that um, isn't a power ballad, but uh, really makes a a great impression. So uh, uh, one of the reasons there was a London production of Baker's Wife. You don't get many out-of-town closings showing up in London, but Trevor Nunn was hearing people do Gifts of Love and so many other songs from the Baker's Wife and Auditions. You know, it, people would finish auditioning and say, what's that song? Where's it from? The Baker's Wife. What's that song? What's it from? The Baker's Wife. Well, I've got to investigate The Baker's Wife. And sad to say, I mean, it wasn't a success in London either, mm. even though it did make it to the West End. But Nevertheless, um, yeah, it's it's never particularly been successful, but I do think it's uh, quite a good show on its own terms, and this is the standout song from it. I was trying to think of recent ballads, and I I I, I guess maybe it's fair to say that um, maybe they're not as common or as popular in uh, current day musicals as in uh, musicals of the past, but also they would. Uh, a, mo- a modern day ballad uh, uh, in many cases would be a, a very different type of song than uh, the classic ballads from the, the golden, the golden age. But um, I, w- I guess I would say that it's quiet uptown from Hamilton oh, yeah. would be mm-hmm. something that you'd really want to listen to. And then um, two other songs. I don't know if these qualify because I, I suppose they were, I think they were both written for the movies that inspired the, the musicals. Uh, but, uh, well, I know that Falling Slowly from once uh-huh. yeah, yeah, yeah. Was, was from the movie. And there is a song in Sing Street uh, called Dream For You that's a, a really, really pretty ballad. And I think it was from the movie, uh, but I'm not actually even sure about that. I know it's in the show. 
You know, this, uh, I, I wonder if the paucity of ballads we have now is due to a certain thing that I've learned about children's theater. Whenever I've interviewed uh, people who run children's theater, um, for example, like Theater Works USA or uh, Arts Power in, um, in New Jersey, um, running Rabbit Theater uh, in New Jersey, um, so many um, pushcar players in New Jersey. I always say to them, uh, so what do you what do you have to have in your shows? What are the must things and what are the things that you don't want to have? And they always say to me, uh, we can't have ballads. Kids get restless at ballads. Mm-hmm. They don't want to hear them. And I wonder if that's why we don't have them in so-called adult shows, because indeed, uh, kids haven't been trained to listen to ballads because they're, they're not used to them. I, uh, this is just off the top of my head, believe me. And if somebody says, no, that has nothing to do with anything, I'll accept that as an answer. But it did occur to me, uh, now that you brought this up, that there haven't been um, many so far. So I guess we do have to go back away to um, find the ones. And, you know, I'm talking about out-of-town closings. How about a song that was dropped out of town? And that is, uh, Where Do I Go From Here? from Fiorello. Now, mm-hmm. I will tell you, the first time I ever heard the song was by Peggy Lee. It made no impression on me. The second time I heard the song was by Robert Goulet. It made no impression on me. The third time I heard the song was by Liz Calloway, and it made an incredible impression on me. And that's when I realized what a beautiful song it was. And I've always taken issue with many things that George Abbott um, did. Um, I don't think he was really as brilliant as so many people um, think he was. And I think he made a mistake here because he said to Bach and Harnick when they were in Philadelphia, now, look, this ballad, you know, no. Um, why don't you write a comedy song? And they wrote a great one, Marie's Law, uh, where she talks about the fact that uh, if she could make the laws, men who, uh, well, people you love will love you back. You know, unrequited love would not be unknown. It wouldn't be a factor that uh, because she's in love with Fiorello and he doesn't um, pay attention to that. So it's a very funny song. It's wonderful, um, especially when her cohort Morris uh, says, um, I think you should outlaw in-laws too, which is a terrific joke. (laughs) Um, But anyway, fine, put in the comedy song. But then, you know, have Morris leave the office and there's um, uh, uh, Marie alone, alone, and have her sing, where do I go from here? It would be wonderful. And at the button on the song, have her shut off the light and leave the office. I mean, you know, I made this suggestion once, and it, it, uh, a director at a community theater in my hometown, Arlington, Massachusetts, asked MTI if he could do it, and they let him do it. So I'm very glad I went to see the production. It worked wonderfully. Uh, it's a terrific song. But thank you, Liz Calloway, for letting me know it was a terrific song. I didn't know it till you. Peter, is there another ballad from Fiorello that maybe we should mention before we go? Uh, sure, but I'll let you do it. It's one of the Thea sings in the second act, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> the title is When Did I Fall in Love? Is that correct? Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, yeah, indeed. And it's so wonderful because we haven't gotten to know much about Thea in um, in the show. Uh, not that much. Yeah, she is a, a, a militant who's trying to get money uh, while they're striking. Uh, the Waste Makers Union Local 25, as the lyric goes. Um, and it's so wonderful that they have that song because that way you really feel something a few scenes later when you learn that she dies because otherwise you wouldn't mm. care nearly as much. Right. But you, you have really bonded with her as, as she indicates the fact that, yeah, she this is uh, second cousin to Gifts of Love, uh, though, of course, it came um, 17 years earlier. But the thing is that um, a woman who, well, yeah, Fiorell's a good guy. I admire him. Yeah, he's good. He's nice to me. Um, you know, uh, but now that she's lived with him and had more chance to observe him, 
yeah, she has genuinely fallen in love with him. And that makes the tragedy that much greater when we find out she dies. Hmm. Uh, what about um, from Jason's song from a new world? Uh, he had the stars and the moon. That's such a clever song because it really does indicate that um, <laughs> you're dealing with a woman who really does value material things more than um, romantic things. And then, then at the end of the song, she's not so sure she was right. So um, it, it is a terrific song. Um, Jason recently had a birthday uh, yeah. and uh, we celebrate the same birthday, I have to say. So uh, I'm always interested when he has to do uh, just from that vantage point. But um, uh, I have said in the past that one of his songs is one of the greatest pieces of special material that I've ever heard. But this also belongs in the list as well. It's a very good um, uh, example of uh, terrific songwriting. Well, and before I mentioned uh, I Can Do Better Than That from the last five years, which is not a ballad, but that score has several, mm, mm. Yeah. Uh, several really beautiful ballads. I think... Uh, last five th- minutes. <laughs> what's that? Uh, the ne- uh, what's the, uh, the Central Park robot scene? The next oh, the 10 next, minutes? The next 10 minutes. 10 minutes. Yes. Perfect, yeah. perfect example. Beautiful song. I think uh, to Peter's point earlier... Um, I hate to say it, but I think a lot of uh, uh, new shows, a lot of mo- modern shows, contemporary shows, are a- afraid to be quiet. Ah. Uh, sometimes I, I think uh, uh, that's a-, a general statement, but but true to a large extent. Um, and that is one thing that maybe works against ballads. I, I um, you know, that said, I, I, as I said earlier, rock ballads and pop ballads are. Uh, different in, in you know significantly from maybe uh pre-rock uh and i i suppose there probably are a few songs for example in dear evan hansen that mm. that would be you know that would be called ballads sure uh, so that that's i, I mean th- those are composers uh, there are there are still um people working now who who are good at them. I, I just, um, I think, I, I hope they continue, continue to feel that they're allowed to put pallets in their shows because they can be so effective when they're well done. Hmm. Yeah. I go ahead, James. I was going to say, we have a few recommendations from our listeners. Uh, Nikki Juven's recommended, uh, I've never been in love before from guys and dolls. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, on my own from Les Miserables. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Steve Bell chimed in with, uh, there is no other way from Pacific overtures. And, oh. uh, who can I turn to and what kind of fool am I? And mm-hmm. also I've got to be me from golden rainbow. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, um, especially, uh, with regard to, um, Les Mis, uh, the one that, uh, I, I got the Les Mis, uh, CD as soon as it came out and it took me so long to get through it because, uh, I was really so stuck on so many songs and, um, and wow, you know, even though I dreamed a dream, uh, was a cliche, uh, has become a cliche. It wasn't a cliche when I got the album way back mm. in the eighties and whoa, I played that over and over and over again. So that's my favorite ballad from, um, Les Mis. And, you know, a lot of people turn against songs that become terribly popular, uh, because they get overdone. Of course, uh, the Boyle lady, um, certainly did well with that song and, 
brought it back into uh, public consciousness. But um, yeah, just as the Beach Boys said, be true to your school just like you would to your girl. Be true to your show just like you would to um, your school and girl and uh, everybody else. Uh, if you love something at the beginning, then indeed you should love it forever uh, and not turn against it because it turned out to be popular. So a song that isn't popular that I think deserved to be uh, comes from Drat the Cat, a ballad called Let's Go. And if you don't have the album to Draft the Cat, I urge you to get it, not just because I wrote the liner notes, but also I think it's a terrific score. This, of course, is the musical from which um, He Touched Me, written as She Touched Me, uh, came from, if you know that Barbara Streisand song. And I was very glad when I went to the concert in Madison Square Garden that as soon as Barbara Streisand sang He Touched Me, that the audience burst into applause. And I, was, hmm. I said, oh, good. They really know this one. Um, this is as a popular song in her repertoire. It's not as an obscure as I had feared that people really do know it. And um, Milton uh, Schaefer and Ira Levin of Rosemary's Baby and Stepford Wives and Death Trap fame wrote the lyrics. And uh, Let's Go is really quite wonderful. And I really um, hope that uh, many of you will search it out because I really think it's a, a major, major ballad. I hope it's understood that we realize we've we've left out so many. Oh uh, yeah, I I don't think we we're counting we, down the minutes until uh, Kerr Lockhart emails us. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't think we named it a single Jones and Schmidt song, and they no. <laughs> one could make a list of their beautiful ballads alone. So, all right, so. Uh... We've uh, spoken past our allotted time, so let's Where wrap up for today. Before we go, I want to remind everybody that you can subscribe to these. Uh, oh, well, Paul Witte just recommended uh, Love Can't Happen from Grand Hotel. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then, the, um, and then the twist of Roses at the Station at the end of Grand Hotel uh, as a, on the same Love Can't Happen theme, but Grand Hotel is just, mm. you know, we've talked about that. Mm. We have to have a whole Grand Hotel discussion. Oh, I'm fine with that. Yeah. Major musical. All right. So as I was saying, you can subscribe to these broadcasts by going to the front page of BroadwayVideo.com. There's a subscribe link that way each and every time we have a new episode of This Week on Broadway. It'll be automatically downloaded to Apple Podcasts for you. Of course, you don't have to listen to us on Apple Podcasts. There's many ways to listen to us. iHeartRadio plays us. Tune in, Stitcher, Google Play, anywhere that you can listen to finer podcasts. You can listen to Broadway Video's offerings. Contact information for Peter, for Michael, and for me can be found in the show notes at BroadwayRadio.com as well as links to some of the things we've talked about today. So on behalf of Michael Portantier and Peter Felicia, this is James Marino saying thanks so much for listening to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. Bye.